Hello and welcome to the Grid Podcast, your insight into all things grid and how it's helping us achieve net zero. Today in the show, Brian and I are going to be taking a short break from our Transmission Capacity Crunch miniseries because from the start of April 2023, the world of grid connections across Great Britain has massively changed through what is known as either the SCR, the Significant Code Review, or the Connections Charging Reform. So what's the headlines on these changes, Brian? Yeah, so the headline change here with the SCR, as if we're an industry that are short in acronyms, uh, Significant Code Review, is really that demand connections no longer pay for reinforcement costs. So that's really um, any EV development, industrial uh, projects on housing development, which uh, all sounds brilliant. Uh, and alongside that, then we have uh, a lot of regulation in around flexible and curtailable okay. connections, which um, probably more focused at the generation uh, kind of battery storage market, but uh, should also bring benefits, I think, into some EV charging and some in particular industrial developments as well. But obviously the, the, the big one, you know, reinforcement costs uh, being basically paid for uh, by the DNOs sounds like a huge silver bullet yep. to, to those industries. But is it really, you know, uh, so we have the detail in this now. We, we covered this probably back about a year ago uh, when we had the big high level announcement by Offgem uh, at the time. And it was everybody was pretty excited. This looked like a real silver bullet. Uh, but obviously we have the detail now. Uh, we've had eyes on the sort of the, effectively the legal texts around how this is all going to work. And uh, as always, the devil is in the detail. So we're really going to try and cut through the hype around SCR and connection charging reform on the podcast, uh, cut through uh, a lot of the kind of myths. So there's a lot of misinformation out there. You know, even the DNOs are still getting up to speed with this. Uh, a lot of industry kind of misinformation. I've, I've heard all sorts of different rumors about it. That, Free that, connections. Yeah, that, that just aren't true. Uh, and and things being excluded that aren't excluded and all this sort of thing. So we're really delving into the detail to work out, well, is it the silver bullet or is it a bit of a damp squib? Yep. Or as usual, the truth normally lies somewhere, somewhere in, in the middle of that. Somewhere in, in between. So basically, rather than everyone sitting at home over their weekends trying to read through all 1178 pages of Dacusa and various other legal and regulatory texts, uh, you can spend the next 20 to 30 minutes with us uh, listening to some delightful Northern Irish accents, try to give you a, a quick a quick high-level summary in the whole thing. Perfect. And the key thing, probably before we go any further here, is in the new world, really. It, it, the new world is here to stay. So we're in a landscape now where the grid's getting more congested and more strained than ever before. Alongside having, uh, there's a, the SCR is one example of a more complex regulation coming in not just for the DNOs, a lot of this regulation also applies to customers and developers who are looking to connect to the grid. So there is an evolving yep. and ever more increasingly complex reg regulatory landscape to kind of navigate here as well. And even uh, the flexible connections and that and all is kind of, it's bringing, it's trying to bring, you know, where there's scarce capacity or whatever optioneering so it does get more complicated, but it's good to see these things being brought into light, things to move forward. Yeah, it brings complexities, but it opens up solutions to people. And it's really with this in mind, then, you know, that's kind of, we're trying to put that at the heart of this podcast is being able to know if, if you're outside of the grid, knowing a bit more about how you interface with it or get the best out of it um, is really more important than ever and knowing how to navigate this new world. Yeah. Okay. So what are we going to cover today then sort of high level and then we'll get into the detail? Yeah. So I thought a kind of a neat way to break this down is cover a bit about what has changed and who has it changed for. 
So, you know, this largely impacts and demand customers, particularly around the reinforcement charging uh, reform. Uh, so housing developers, EV charging uh, developers, uh, industrial, uh, large commercial developers, battery centers, that type of thing. Yep. Um, when I do say demand connections, uh, when I refer to demand connections in this podcast going forward, it does exclude battery storage. Battery storage, we're kind of excluded through the, it's a technicality around non you know, being classed as non-final demand. So um, battery storage are, are lumped in with the renewable generators who really haven't got a whole lot out of this. Um, so, so yeah, the, the, the big, the big ticket items there is obviously the, the reinforcement cost subsidy or whatever you want to call it for demand connections. And then, uh, but there is a lot of exceptions and, and issues with it that we, that we will touch on. And then there's some more probably kind of minor changes for renewable projects and battery projects. We did think the regulation around flexible connections was going to be a real game changer for a lot of renewable projects. But to be honest, my personal opinion is that bit of it's a total dump squib, really. Um, and well, effectively renewable and battery developers have bigger issues in terms of the transmission capacity crunch that we're yep. covering on the separate mini series. Yep. So this podcast probably will focus more on on demand connections, sort of EV, industrial, housing, uh, and we'll touch probably more in on the flexible connection piece in a separate podcast. I think I, th I think it's a slightly different thing on on its own. So that's kind of like how or what has changed and who has changed for. So how has it changed and what are the sort of key issues? Yeah, so that'll be the next topic we'll come to is basically how has it changed and what are the the challenges or issues here? And there are quite quite a few of them to be aware of. So it, as I say, it the devil has really been in the detail of this. I don't want to come across like a hypocrite as well because uh, you you probably could scroll back and listen to one of our podcasts from a year ago. I haven't listened to it back. We were probably all positive pushing this. Um, so I'm just saying we we have seen more detail now. You know, it it did all sound great in theory at the time. Very high level announcement by Offgem, even though their high level announcement ran to like a hundred odd pages. Uh, but the the sort of the legal text, if you like, is is now out and and there is some some challenges in there so we in terms of key things and how it's changed that we'll run through so obviously the reinforcement cost that's the big one but the the probably the bigger unknown one is all the exceptions to that uh and, and challenges around that um voltage rules as well kind of apply in there probably less important uh speculative speculative developments are now regulated for and that's going to be a big thing it appears to really be really onerous towards housing development. Uh, so that that's going to be a big one, I think, for any housing developers going forward, that whole speculative development. And that's is. in there kind of just to ensure that the capacity is used. That's kind of... Yeah, it's, it's part of realising that, that part around the grid being more constrained than ever. It's a bit of a realisation and, and trying to place the access to the capacity that it isn't yep. being kind of taken up by, by funding projects or, or whatever. Phase capacity sites is now a regulated thing, so uh, that there's a, a legal definition and, and whatnot in for for phase capacity sites, and it kind of ties in with speculative developments. Um, so there's a big push now to push people to be up more upfront and honest with a phase capacity plan, rather than saying you need ten megawatts tomorrow when in re in reality it's going to take you five or six years to build out, and that five or six years gives the grid time to catch up. So we'll touch in on that. Uh, it's something you need to be more aware of, and and we'll, we'll we'll come back to that at the end as well. And then timescales is that's probably the biggest challenge I think around all this. Um, so 
we're going to see more projects that are commercially viable by having the reinforcement um, subsidized or funded or whatever you want to call it, uh, which means they're going to trigger more reinforcement. More projects will trigger reinforcement and it means then your project is more likely to get caught up in a reinforcement scheme and with that comes time scales. So that that means there's a much greater risk of losing control of time scales for energization and without sight of risks or any control or clear mitigation strategies for those risks as well. Um, and as we know, both time delays and uncertainty kills business plans. Yep. So that I, I, we're already seeing that. You know, we, we've been looking at at, at grid capacity and sites probably since the start of this year through this new lens. And uh, I probably didn't appreciate myself just how much some of the time scale and uncertainty is such a killer uh, to various types of development. So that that's a that's a big issue, uh, and we'll touch back on that. Um, basically, well, yeah, our final kind of point then, or wrap up, is going to be what what our recommendations would be to a developer, whether it's EV charging, industrial, whether it's housing sites. Uh, you know, our take on well, what can you do about it? What's some key high level principles to try and navigate the new world then? So that I think sets the uh, the agenda. Yes, sets it sets it well. Plenty to cover. Um, also very positive, though, that, you know, we're starting to see things like those uh, phased plans, you know, becoming actually a real thing. That's really what happens, you know, on sites. Very rarely do you go straight in and everybody needs the demand straight away. So I think that's positive to see those all being integrated and just kind of bringing us up to speed and, and having a set of rules, I suppose, in some ways will allow us to manage to that, but it's making sure we know those risks and manage them as we go. So, yeah, let's get into the detail. So... Those sort of key changes, uh, sort of for demand developments for EV charging, um, housing, etc. What's the what's the main areas that we want to cover? Yeah, so focusing in there, so grid reinforcement costs, as we say, that is the big the big big ticket item in all of this. Uh, albeit there's various other topics that have been weaved into the regulatory and code changes at the same time. Uh, and well, the big one is. You know, we've been talking to so many developers in in different areas who just think, yep, like. Uh, projects were unfeasible before or new projects going forward and it's all going to be super cheap grid connections um but it isn't that isn't really the case it's not that straightforward so the the big main exception as i see it is the minimum scheme rule yep which has always been there it's a historic rule it's back in in the new codes uh, and effectively it means that the dno's obligation is to offer you the connection scheme that is the lowest overall cost that is not the lowest overall cost to you as the connecting customer that is the lowest overall cost full stop for the scheme for the scheme doesn't matter who pays exactly so uh probably the best thing is to try and do an example of this so where you might have say a one mva whether it might be a housing site or an ev charging hub um and it's on the outskirts of a town and say let's say it's five kilometers up the road to the the primary substation, but there's 11 kV uh, overhead network runs through the site. You would be your natural kind of inclination in the new world was would be to say, well, well, yeah, the overhead lines maybe at capacity or close to it, uh, but I'll connect on there, and the DNO is going to pay to to upgrade that line the the whole way back to the substation, and sure that that's brilliant. It's going to cost cost me nothing. Yep. Um, but the DNO might look at that and say, well, hold on, what is the lowest overall scheme here? Is it is it cheaper to run just a brand new cable 
back to the primary substation? And if the answer is yes, then they will say, right, the cable connection is the better one to go for. But the customer would pay for that full cable connection. So the difference in price there between the connection for the client could be, I'm picking figures out there, this won't be right at all, but it could be, it could cost the customer three million pounds versus costing them 200 grand or or something. You know, that's where the, so the minimum scheme rule, that's the kind of cost differences it can create here. Yeah. which is huge so minimum scheme is going to be a thing isn't it it's going to but, be controversial or test it or have we got the minimum scheme here overall exactly that you know that it's going to lead to those discussions which is quite difficult for customers though because a lot of the time well they have no idea what the other options would have been so how do they test the minimum scheme and that that's something we'll come back to later so, so that that really is something that's going to cause a bit of confusion people are going to be getting connection offers out with huge costs and they're going to be thinking hold on a minute I thought those costs were all gone now and it'll be down to the minimum scheme rule in, in most instances, I think this is going to be the biggest driver. Um, and if you think about it as well, you know, the DNOs are under huge pressure. They have short timelines to quote these things. You know yourself, it's much more easier to go onto Google Maps and plot a cable route up the road uh, rather than trying to work out a whole overhead line, you know, uh, reinforcement scheme. So just in terms of pure ease of getting connection offers out the door, it's much easier just to say, yep, there's a line in a map from A to B, brand new cable and you pay for it, rather than having to price up this whole higgledy-piggledy overhead line. Yeah, and, and then like understanding resupply options and all those various things that become even trickier when you're trying it, to do those sort of uh, studies. Exactly. So we have seen it, you know, where it is just the kind of the handiest option gets issued out. And it's really only once you pick into it and dig into the detail you find we'll hold on actually that the minimum scheme could be the overhead and and that would cost us nothing. But it does trigger then a time scale issue. So again, we've we, so we've seen these examples where we you know you get the DNO offer, it'll be cable down the road, and you're like, well, hold on, the minimum scheme would be that reinforcement. So in the new world, that reinforcement will be free, which is all good, but it you lose control of time scale then. You know, how long is it going to take uh, for the DNO to get that reinforcement scheme designed? Is there extra third party consents? They might have new stay wires, they might have bigger poles, they might need single poles turned into edge poles. Uh, so there's third party consents then uh, come into play. Is is there any plan? You know, normally there's not a plan in implication, but there could be. It's a risk. So all of a sudden, you're, you know, in, so your three million pound connection might only be costing you 200 grand, but you, don't have a lot of certainty in when you're getting it. Yep. And it is hard even to compare those schemes too. Like the cable costs up a road is easier compared to then a rebuild yep. of a overhead line. Whereas you say there's so many different factors around conductor size, yeah, um, stays, pole heights, tensions tension between back, poles, pole. at angles yep. in the line, all that all impacts on that. So um so yeah, well the other point I was just gonna make then is well you could have options there. You could have a three million quid option that you know you could go and contract with an ICP and get some contractual certainty on it and it's going to be delivered within X months or you could have a 200 grand option that you don't really know it might take a year it might take two or, or, or whatever yeah. um, and different options suit different business models better you know so this is this is the whole thing now the regulations bring a lot more options into play but different options Certainly, I've learned a lot in the last six to twelve months. Different options suit different business plans massively. Yep. 
Um, some developers can let you know, and some certain types of development can live with longer timescales and bigger risks around those if they know it's going to be cheaper. And some developers, time and uncertainty just kills their business plan, kills the development. Yep. So that, that's the biggest one, I think. Yeah. And then is this like, and you know, like this reinforcement costing, like are, are the DNOs are, are ultimately the paying customers on the hook for any cost? Like can it just be multi-million pounds so, or what's the crack with that? Yeah. So that, well, that's the next kind of big exception to come in. So if you ask anybody what the big exception is, they they would probably tell you the high cost cap before they would tell you the minimum scheme. Um, so that the high cost cap is is one of the other main exceptions. But I don't really see this being a, a big issue. Offgen made a big fuss over it. A lot of people in the kind of industry you hear talking sort of are very aware of it. I don't expect the high cost cap to come in as too much of an issue. So to explain what the high cost cap is, it's basically a, a bit of a ceiling that Offgen's put in to just make sure people aren't triggering massive reinforcement costs uh, that, you know, as bill pairs we all have to pay for. So it's set at 1,720 quid per KVA of capacity that the customer's applying for. So uh, if you think about this, um, there's there's actually a bit of an odd thing here. This might impact on very small connections like a 70 KVA EV charger. They may well get hung up with a high cost cap. Um, but if you take the typical one MBA connection with a high cost cap, you've got about a one point seven million pound budget of reinforcement before your before your connection yeah costs. before you're liable. So yeah. basically, the high cost cap is you take your connection capacity, multiply it by seventeen hundred and twenty quid. That gives you your kind of reinforcement pot that the DNO is allowed to spend, and then anything above that you have to pay for yourself. And it is just the difference you pay for. It, it's anything above yeah. and beyond the top, yeah. uh, but you pay it in full. There's no yeah. no apportionment in that. But if you take a one MVA, so it's a charging hub or a, a housing site development, one point seven million pound of a reinforcement pot is pretty hefty. If you're if you're getting into that sort of reinforcement or larger, you're probably into like I don't know, bulk supply point or something. In which case, the time scales is going to be a bigger issue and probably yeah. kill your project anyway. Um, yeah, and commercially they mightn't been acceptable beyond that anyway. If in the old world, yeah. So you know, one point seven million that'll do you a good bit of reinforcement. Um, the 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 one issue or where it might well basically say you're you're triggering bulk supply point kind of one three two kV reinforcement. Um, well, actually, sorry, um, that wouldn't actually count because there is a voltage rule on this as well. Yeah. So the high cost caps only factored in to the voltage reinforcement on the voltage you're connecting to and the voltage Which above. Yeah. So if if you are one MVA EV charging hub or housing development, you're more than likely connecting to the eleven kV network. You know, you'll get a lot of 11 kV and, you know, one MVA is unlikely to be the triggering factor on 33 kV, I yeah, think. Yeah. Um, maybe if it's a 132 kV to 11 kV substation you're fed out of, that's maybe yeah. when you have more issues. But the other factor I see is, well, if you're triggering that type of reinforcement, you're going to be opening up a load more capacity than one MVA. So you're either going to bump your capacity up to three or four MVA, in which case your high cost cap then changes... Yep. to six or seven million or or, or you're gonna yeah. you're gonna look around the area you're either gonna develop something else in that area or you're gonna like t you know we you, you're gonna be able to pinpoint somebody else that's a large energy user and let them trigger the reinforcement yep. so yeah the high cost cap might create some complexity but I, I don't see any complexity there that most people wouldn't be able to work around but I, again it kind of comes back to that being aware of the options and, and kind of have a 
I think it is like the exception, isn't it? Rather yeah. than the real, you know, that it was meant to be triggered at a point where there's only so many percent, it, wasn't it? That it would yeah, be above the high cost cap. I think basically off Jim tried to set it that it was the ninety fifth percentile that only five percent of development should get infect, uh, affected by it. Yeah, which in itself kind of backs up my theory that the the minimum schemes probably I think it's going to be a more common occurrence yeah. than that. Yeah, I mean my only slight concern in that one was that. I think it was on a per scheme basis that went ahead. So there's probably ones, you know, in the 95% mark that didn't go ahead because they weren't commercially viable. But yeah. Now, but now that, but like, I think ultimately it's still going to affect a small number of projects. So, yeah, you know, it's not as, I think the minimum scheme is definitely going to be um, more critical. In terms of like other exceptions, then there's lots of other bits and pieces. Could we maybe sort of fly through those? Yeah. So I'm going to try and skim through these as some of them get a bit techy. And um, yeah, it's more for kind of, uh, people like ourselves to be considering these things in a bit more detail when we're optioneering grid connections rather than sort of boring people on a podcast with it but I, I will skim through because it does demonstrate just that you know we've highlighted minimum scheme high cost cap there there's quite a few other exceptions that will just chip away at certain projects um so we have talked about reinforcement above the high cost cap not being apportioned so that's fine and we've discussed the voltage rules and the high cost cap as well uh just on the voltage rules, generation is different then. Uh, so it's one voltage. Reinforcement at the voltage you're connecting to isn't funded for generation. It's one voltage up and above, but there's a much lower high cost cap on that. It's only £200 uh, a, a kVA. So that's where I think the reinforcement stuff, it's it's small change really for a large generation project. And most most big generation projects now connect at 132 kV anyway. And it's worth noting, none of this applies to transmission. Yeah. So the transmission charging, and we'll cover in our transmission capacity crunch mini series, is a whole different... Th Off-gem basically decided, oh, that's too hard. We're going to ignore that in this whole code review. They kind of, they had it in and then they took it out. Um, But yeah, other exceptions to the uh, having your reinforcement paid for by the DNO. If the reinforcement's above and beyond the minimum scheme, um, then you have to pay, pay the difference. Now... You might think, well, why would I do that? Well, as I say, times losing control of time scale here is, is going to be a huge factor for so many people. So there may be obvious, there's a few obvious examples I can think of where you might want to pay to speed things up. So, you know, a classic example is uh, overhead line versus underground cable, where a DNO says the minimum scheme is going to be a new overhead line. It requires third party consent and planning permission, which, you know, you basically have no control over. Huge risk in terms of time scale. You have no idea when you're going to get connected, really, if, if that's the case. Uh, whereas you might want to say, well, hold on, let's run a cable up the road and we know we can get that done in nine months or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so you may well want to pay the difference there to, to make that happen. And again, this will get complicated because you're into options within options uh, and different all different customers will have different views on this depending on what their business plan looks like. So without getting tied up, I'll move on. Um, Downstream reinforcements excluded, so I'll not spend time on that, but it's a bit of a weird one, some fault level issues, that type of thing. It's yeah. going to be fairly rare, don't see it being common, but again, it's just another one that might chip away at a couple of projects. Uh, exclusions around temporary connections is worth noting, so if you are doing any kind of building supplies, temporary connections, they're excluded from the whole thing. You know, we have seen five MVA, 10 MVA temporary connections for very large building projects, yeah. so it's just worth noting that you won't, you won't get your reinforcement paid for there. There's some detail around that in terms of time scale. What is a temporary connection, etc. I think it's around five years. There's like a five year threshold. Uh, 
Can also be exceptions where switchgear upgrades result in increase in fault level capacity, but not thermal capacity. This one is a bit techy, uh, and I, I think it actually could become a bit of an issue if, if you're triggering primary box supply point upgrades. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, so we will just monitor that one. And as I say, we'll probably come back and do another podcast in a few yeah. months' time on this. It'll be interesting to see where that one goes, because I think we did do a podcast on fault level, and at one stage we thought there may be ultimately a queue for fault level yeah. and fault level headroom so yeah I, i'm kind of taking they've accept that they've taken that out as an exception at the minute because the fault level if headroom's not a big thing so if you're triggering it based on fault level capacity reasons it's yes. different yeah uh but it's more if you're upgrading fault level capacity but for for different reasons okay so it, it's going to be a weird one that and it'll be interesting to see how it gets applied uh, and then another potentially common enough exception as well is where you're connected across two circuits or I, I think the legal terminology is between two different points in the distribution network, which you could kind of argue any demand connection kind of does that. Yeah. But anyway, um, you'll have to pay the full reinforcement costs on the lowest cost feeder under that scenario. So again, I don't want get to get bogged down in detail. At a guesstimate, I'd maybe say we see five to 10% of EV charging hubs kind of connect across two feeders. Um, so it's just another small one that's just sort of chipping away at certain projects, really. Um, and yeah, you'd see that applying to housing sites and things as well. Yep, and, and then it's on those bigger connections, isn't it? Sort of one MVA up where you will have multiple feeders and resupply. Where you're more likely yep. to, yeah. If you're in that kind of one, one to two, one to three MVA yep. kind of range, that's sort of where you're more likely to maybe be in, in around that or, or larger. Um, so yeah, those are high level without, you know, sitting here and reading, reading the full legal script. Um, that would they, be a long podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All 1200 pages of it. So we're basically saying like, don't assume that all connections are now going to be really cheap and you're going to get them really quickly. Um, and that your reinforcement will all be paid by the DNO because as we've covered, there's a number of exceptions, number of things to consider, and there's a lot more options in the table. I think that's about it. Yeah, I'm. I'm not exactly sure what percentage of connections are going to fall foul of the exceptions. I I think it could it could realistically be about fifty percent of connections with capacity issues that kind of, you know, have to navigate some sort of a, uh, you know, awkward sort of ride through it if you like. Um, but it's going to be interesting how it plays out because obviously the DNOs are only getting to grips with this. There's loads of misunderstanding out there about it. And everybody have their own play of interpretation of these, you know, which is going to be an interesting view as well. As with anything, once you put it into a legal text, um, you get any number of different interpretations on, on how it actually applies as well. So that that will be interesting. Another interesting one on, on the minimum scheme thing as well is where, you know, they are, the DNO does just propose new cable up the road that you have to pay for. It's kind of, well, well how does that align with their obligations to develop an, a, an efficient, coordinated um network as well as their kind of wider environmental obligations to minimize their environmental footprint as well yeah where you know potentially upgrading an existing asset would sort of tick those boxes a little bit more as well i know because the 11 the old 11 kv planner and me um you know was thinking well if there's two customers there you could design a better scheme yeah (laughs) you know so yeah that i think those two things will will kind of jar a little just in terms of conflict from an engineering perspective there's definitely tension there i yeah. think so the next challenge you know was speculative connections and 
you know, we had said particularly that might be onerous in housing developments and it might put them at a disadvantage, you know, compared to large industrial and commercial or, or EVE. So how do we explain that? What's the speculative connections piece and, and how do we consider it? Yeah, so the first thing to note is really speculative connection is another exclusion then from having your reinforcement cost paid for. And speculative connections were actually in the old regs um, around cost apportionment and, and having connection costs shared. Uh, but it was never really defined. So it is now down in kind of the legal text, if you like, around what is a speculative connection or, or how we define it. And it's, effect it's effectively a point scoring system. Uh, so there's different criteria that you will either get positive, neutral or negative points on different criteria. It all gets tallied up and what your final score is tells you if you're a speculative connection or not. And again, we won't have time to go into the full detail on this because it, it really is a dry read. But uh, just to give some very high level, what you know, some of the key factors are a flavor for them in a way, um, high level summary. Uh, and, and just before I do, well, it'll become evident as I go through them wh why this is more aimed at housing developers or why it appears to be. So there's lots of emphasis. Sev several of the criteria uh, are around providing sort of clear project programs or phase plans um, to include sort of realistic phased capacity ramp up uh, based on uh, different criteria and things. But this now appears to be key. So this is sort of coming back to the whole phased capacity thing, having phased plans. Uh, and and the time scale of those plans as well is also important in terms of your point scoring. Um, so again, we'll not get into the full detail of the points and things, but that that's a very important thing to note. And that's something pretty much everybody, EV, industrial, housing development, we're going to need to really get on top of those phase plans uh, as part of a connection application process. So that's one key kind of takeaway, big change. Uh, large housing developments are penalised if you're over 5,000 dwellings, you're looked on negatively. Uh, financial commitments on larger grid assets are looked on positively. Um, so, you know, again, this is mainly targeted at housing connections. I can't think of too many EV or industrial type scenarios that would apply. But if if you're doing phase one of a four phase housing development, you know, that if you're installing the large primary substation or whatever it is you need for phase one, you know, that, that serves the whole development, then, you know, you score better yeah. points. But if you're just installing whatever the cheapest minimum thing is to get phase one away that will not cater for phases two, three, four, that's looked on negatively. You might have it maybe like, it just depends what way the application processes work for you. Maybe have it like on like a large retail park or business park maybe so, might be the other place that it could potentially just yeah, depend on how you go about that. Yeah, some industrial applications, um, it definitely will. You know, these things all will definitely apply to, to other demand users. Yep. It just does. I it appear, always nearly fits in the housing one. It all appears to me yeah. that it's been written uh, for housing development. Yeah. Um, and there's a thing around future prov provision to do with uh, if if you're connecting 75% or more of your hou total housing development in the first phase, that's looked on favorably. I'm assuming that doesn't often happen in large housing developments either. Uh, and then obviously uh, there's other things around being looked on favorably there if, if things don't go well. And, and there's normally a neutral band in these as well, in, you know, in between. Uh, and then planning permission is obviously another big one. So planning permission is in. If you have planning, that's good. If you don't have planning, that's not good. And there's stuff around outline planning and being in local development plans and all that type of thing as well. Um, but basically, most new developments probably won't, you know, don't have planning, no matter what sector you're in. Uh, that's going to get you negative points. 
So really for any development now, you need to be aware of how to score some positive points uh, and score enough of them to outweigh the negative of not having planning. Uh, Otherwise you might have some issues with um, your reinforcement costs not being funded. So this is actually quite key. Um, We certainly are embedding this in all our processes with our clients. Uh, But as I say, I don't think it's going to hurt industrial or EV or renewable developers or anything too much. Um, but housing, housing in particular looks to be quite heavily penalised on this. Penalised maybe the wrong word, I don't know. Um, but I, I do know, our, I've been chatting to our sister company, TriConnect, who obviously work in the housing sector, and they've been doing a lot of work to basically embed this into what they do day and daily uh, to keep basically developers right in that area. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, it's in everyone's interest to de-risk and make sure developments actually do happen. Um, so that's you know that's what we're all here to try and do and, and what we're about. But it does just create an additional regulation headache for people seeking grid connection. And uh, you know, I mean, ultimately, that's why the regulations have been brought in as well to ensure that those grid capacities are available for people who are not speculative. That, that, that's exactly it. it. It's kind of there in recognition of the point I said earlier about th- there's going to be more viable projects trigger more reinforcement, and we're already seeing it in a way. Yep. You know, the the grid is getting more strained, so it's just trying to police that kind of capacity that little bit better and it's not dissimilar to the you know the transmission stuff we talked about before about the queue for transmission capacity whether it's like was it all real cars in the road or yeah. just some of those are speculative so i think you know the, the rules here to, to solve the distribution demand issues are good uh, in terms of trying to do that but you have to be aware how it might impact you for for your own individual project and what you do exactly you, you just need to know navigate it really and just you know again most developers playing this fairly will we'll be fine it's just knowing you need to submit the right evidence at a certain time and, and, and all that kind of thing yeah. but it, to, to compare to transmission though you know we were probably saying in the transmission miniseries it's the lack of this stuff that has led to ma- massive issues yeah. where you can go out without any sort of LOA and book up 5 gigawatt of capacity of transmission but yet you know I can see how a housing developer might sit here thinking that's a bit that's, unfair yeah, I have all totally. this paperwork to do but the, the person with a 5 gigawatt battery a- thing a- has, and a belt thousands of houses over the last year and always connected them you know so yeah exactly so look not for us to comment on i suppose but anyway okay so look to summarize then it isn't really straightforward at all Uh, the sort of initial headlines was free connections Mm, not so sure about that so what's our key takeaways for anyone that's sort of seeking those demand connections yeah so to summarize my kind of key advice or certainly what we've started you know getting the thinking in our team in a way is navigating minimum scheme and time scale challenges I think is going to be the two biggest things uh, for most people developing pretty much anything uh, and that's really down to understanding understanding the local network understanding the options that might be there and understanding the associated time and cost sort of well the quantum of them and the risks around both time scale and cost for the different options uh, and you know, you need to kind of have that understanding before you can really start to think, well, what is the minimum scheme? What are the different minimums? There, you know, there might be a couple of options of minimum scheme that are close enough together that, you know, you might have one over the other. Uh, but what one would you rather have? You know, would you rather have cheaper but faster or cheaper and more certainty? Or would you rather have, well, you know, I just, I, I can bear with, I'll have to live with time scale. Um, so there's there's a lot of that, you know, testing what the cheapest option is, uh, testing the different risk scenarios that, that fit with your business plan the best, 
you know, w- would you rather have that 200 grand connection, but waiting, you know, an uncertain period of time for the DNO to operate some overhead line, or would you just rather pay 2 million quid and, and get it done in six months? Um, There's no one fi- size fits that, all here. That That is the exact thing. And, and we are finding that, you know, having a lot of discussions with different developers from different avenues, you know, even two developers in the same sector will have different parameters in terms of how their investment case is built, their business plans uh, uh, and everything else. And and even just on different sites, you know, there might be different obligations or, or different time scale needs at, at certain sites. Um, and then the other thing really is understanding if there's other sort of more compromised options um, that might be available to you then as well. So, you know, would a phase capacity plan work for you and would it work for the grid? What does the phase capacity plan that works for the grid look like? So that you can actually take a bit of a view on that. Uh, would a curtailable connection work either on a temporary or enduring basis? What would that curtailment impact look look like for you that that meets the grid's needs, and how would that impact you, and could you live with it? Those are the sort of things you need to consider and step through. And then the the other one, uh, really is the other key takeaway is that bit around speculative development. Um, you really need to be looking at that, building that into your kind of project development process. And making sure you're on top of both that and well, connection milestones set outside these regs, but they've been in, you know, they've been in connection offers for a long time. They're finding their way into more lower capacity demand connections now as well. So, uh, both speculative and, and and the milestone thing needs to be, you know, you need to be aware of that. That's a key risk to your development. Yeah, and the milestone thing is sort of a a further backup of you know ensuring that capacity is being used, et cetera, et cetera. And... Yeah. So I suppose to summarise. This new world creates a lot more options. Options create opportunities, but they create headaches uh, and they create complexity. But um, there is a lot of opportunity in it as well. Uh, you know, I hope we haven't been overly negative here that, you know, this is a great thing. Yep. You know, reinforcement will be paid for on a lot of different projects. Uh, there's just a lot more kind of option here and you need to think about or, or tailoring uh, both your cost, cost and time scale needs. Yeah, and that just that wee bit more upfront planning and consideration with the grid at that point in time, I think, makes a huge difference to what your project looks like down the road, doesn't it? So, yeah, great to see these now in. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they pan out over the, the next number of months. So, uh, in terms of uh, the podcast, that's us for for another session. Um, we are going to go back to our Transmission Capacity Crunch mini-series in the next episode, but do... Uh, we do plan to sort of check in on the SCR and the new connections world in the next few months. How DNOs have adjusted to it, how customers have adjusted to it, how we have adjusted to it. Um, and once we get a bit more exposure on the regs and interpretation. So it will be interesting to see uh, how it plays out, whether, you know, as we've anticipated in this podcast, there are things to discuss or or we need to delete this one off our podcast list because we've got it completely wrong. Um, but yeah, we, we think there's loads here to consider and it will be good to come back around and also to get, you know, you, the listener's view on what you've experienced to date, any queries you might have around some of that stuff, please do get in contact. So thanks for listening or watching The Grid Podcast. Please do subscribe on YouTube or wherever you normally get your podcasts. You can uh, ask questions there in the YouTube comments and we'll reply, reply or drop us a line at The Grid at esparknetworks.co.uk. Follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and podcast highlights will be loaded there. We'll speak to you shortly again. Thank you.